So we started a conversation about, um, about the church and about we as the church and the idea with the uh, conversation that we're opening up just at the beginning of the year here is, is to um, rediscover uh, what, what the nature of the church is, the identity of the church, the purpose of the church is, and then also to learn about our unique history at Southside as a church, as a church movement, uh, where we've come from so that we can properly orient ourselves in time and place and maybe uh, then with the power of the Holy Spirit discern where we're heading as a faith family, as a community here in Milton. So last week, we opened up that conversation by asking the question, what is the church? And looking at uh, scripture to discover an answer to that question, and then what the function of the church is. We said that what is the church? The church is a people. It's not a place. It is the uh, not only the local gathering of a people, but it is the global representation of a people. And what kind of people are those people? Those are the people who would be identified as people who are in Christ. Those who have said, I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I identify with Jesus as my king. I identify with him as my Lord. And I'm following in his direction that everything in my life, um, I'm wanting to submit to his ways. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And the purpose of that is uh, so that we can then carry out the calling and vocation of Christ followers on earth. We said um, that we be and we become God's loving presence on earth as it is in heaven. In the way that Israel's vocation was to be a light on a hill, was to be the loving presence of God and the rule of God and reign of God on earth. Um, and they failed at that, and Jesus fulfilled that vocation. And so now those who are in Christ have that responsibility to be God's representation of love on earth as it is in heaven. Christ is in us and then through us to the world. And then we said that the way that we do that, there's many ways that we do that. And then we said the few that we um, typically use as kind of subcategories are uh, prayer and worship and service and empowering spiritual gifting and singing together in unity and baptism and communion. And I'm sure the list could go on. But um, that, those are the reasons why you see the things we do on a Sunday and throughout a week is, 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 is supposed to be underneath one of these categories because that's the function of the church. And we believe that doing these things and many others um, are the kinds of things that uh, help us be and become um, Christ's presence. Of his, he's formed in us. We sang about this this morning, not I, but Christ in me as Christ is formed in us through these actions for the purpose of then offering Christ to the world around us. So that's what we said, and that's what Scripture teaches. This is what the Bible teaches about the church. This is what Jesus' attention of the church was. If you have a different framework for church or a different idea what the church is supposed to be, um, that it could be just semantics. Maybe we're just using different language to describe the same thing, or you just may not um, be thinking about what actual Jesus' intention for the church was and what the New Testament describes the church as being. And that's okay to be be uncertain about that. It's just important for us to go back to what, what the, the, the person himself said, which is, which is Jesus, and then, and then what the New Testament teaches about it. And uh, then what we're going to do this morning, we're going to do a quick flyover of 1,800 years of church history. You ready for that? It's going to be crazy. I'm going to speak really fast. Um, I'm kidding. We're, we're, I'm just going to give you a big touch points. And it's going to lead to um, our unique history as an Alliance family. And then uh, what I'm going to finish off this morning with is, 
is a description of the fourfold gospel, because that is something that is a distinctive and a unique distinctive of Alliance folk, and it's something that, as a licensed worker in the CMA, you say, yes, I am pro fourfold gospel, and uh, it was new to me, actually. Um, it's not new, but it was new to me, and it's beautiful, and I think you're going to see the beauty in it, and I think you're going to appreciate it, and so we'll get there this morning, and it sounds like a lot, but um, it's, it's going to be shallow. We're not going deep, deep dive here this morning. So uh, let me give you a run-through of church history, 1,800 years. There's the Roman Catholic Church, um, more formally established around the 4th century. Then you have the East and West split. So the Roman Catholic Church was kind of like the universal church across the world. Um, and there was obviously, like, there's the universal church, which is the, 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 the communion of the saints globally. And then there was the formal church. And there was kind of one of them for a long time uh, that, that was identified as the Church of Jesus Christ. Then you have the East-West split in the 11th century. That's where kind of the Orthodox folk split from the Catholic folk. And so anything you, um, when you see like an Eastern Orthodox church, um, they're, they're part of the Orthodox split. And then there's the Roman Catholic lineage continues on. Uh, there's a whole lot of like other smaller ones along the way, but these are kind of the major ones in the 11th century. And then the ones that are really kind of like a key to us in our own history is you have the Catholic Reformation in the 16th century uh, with Luther, and uh, that kind of opens up the floodgates to denominationalism as we know it today. If you're wondering why there's a million denominations and you can't keep track of them all, uh, they're mostly saying 99, 95% saying the same things, and, uh, and it's the result primarily of the, um, the Catholic Reformation, where the, the Bible was uh, translated into native tongues and given to people to read for themselves. And when you give everybody a, a, a book to read for themselves, you, 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 you may get an, an infinite amount of understandings of it. Hopefully not. Hopefully there's some key things, and there is some key things that we all agree on, but, but um, you start splintering off into individual or smaller groups because of a distinctive here, distinctive there. That's kind of what happened with the Reformation. And so you have the Reformation in the 16th century. What you get out of that is you get the Anglicans, any, any, all, all, my, all our British folk who hang out in the back window there. Can I get an amen? You're never going to get an amen from a Brit, uh, right? Can I amen? Yeah, Anglicanism. Church of England, right? Um, yeah, so they're like, we're not Roman Catholic. We are English Catholic, maybe. Or, hey, we're Anglican. That's kind of what it is. So, um, so you get the Anglicans who are like, the English are like, we're, we want our own church. All the, and, and, then, and then you got kind of the Lutherans who are like, the Germans are like, we're the Church of Germany. Hey, hey, the Germans, all right. And the Dutch, the Dutch Reformed. Any Dutch, hey. Uh, <laughs> any other groups not recognized here? This is a particular line of the history. It's an important one. Of course, globally, there's still all sorts of stuff happening all over the place. So it's not like this is the one. It's just these are like kind of major ones, especially in the Western world. So you've got that. And then uh, under the Reformed camp, you've got the Presbyterians. Any former Presbyterians in the room? All right. Yeah. Woo, woo. Um, you got Knox Presbyterian up the street. They're Presbyterian. Uh, the Presbyterian church wasn't necessarily, um, it's, it's not identified with like a place. It's more identified with an ecclesial structure. And so to, to be a Presbyterian church means your church hierarchy and structure and leadership structure is Presbyterian. And I won't describe to you what that means, but the CMA has kind of a quasi-Presbyterian structure. It's like a combination of a few things, but, but you'll see why that's important. Because with the Presbyterian church, um, uh, the pastor, uh, one of the pastors of the Presbyterian church um, back in the, uh, the 19th century is a man named A.B. Simpson. Um, uh, and, uh, and you're going to see a video 
of a history of A, B, Simpson, and if you're a, if you're a part of an Alliance church, you're, you're supposed to memorize the history of, of this man and memorize all of his theology. I'm kidding. Most of you guys have been coming here for probably 20 years, and you're like, A, B, Simpson, who's that? Um, he's the founder of the Alliance, and, uh, and so I want to show you this video. It's four minutes long, and it, it'll help you just, you know, uh, flyover of AB, and, uh, and then we'll get to our history here. So that's, that's the flyover, boom, boom, boom. Go, video, AB Simpson. <laughs> From a little-known island in the Canadian Maritimes and a town in western Ontario, God raised up Albert Benjamin Simpson to lead a global movement. Born of staunch Presbyterian parents, he was baptized as a baby with a prayer. May the Lord make the wee lad a great man of God who would impact his world for Christ. Truly a prophetic prayer. Brought up on Reformed theology and stern discipline, young Bert longed for peace with God. After struggling for months as a teenager, he read words in an old book which gave him hope. The first good work you will ever perform is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He fell to his knees, took God at his word, and believed on him as Savior and loving Heavenly Father, thus beginning a journey to follow God wherever he might lead. He entered the ministry at age 21 in Hamilton, Ontario, following graduation from Knox College. In Louisville, Kentucky, he began preaching evangelistically for people to be saved. And there he died to ambition and pride and was filled with God's Holy Spirit. God's next stop for him was New York City and the 13th Street Presbyterian Church where he served rich and poor, Italian immigrants and Wall Street bankers. There he edited the first illustrated missions magazine, The Gospel to All Lands which broadened his vision of the spiritual poverty of people the world over. Miraculously healed in August 1881, he followed the pillar of fire and resigned his well-to-do New York church, becoming an independent preacher at the Gospel Tabernacle. Powerful preaching, remarkable healings, and ministries to the needy of New York and beyond fleshed out his fourfold gospel and bring back the king theology. Realizing the need for more workers in more places, he founded the Missionary Training Institute, soon sending scores off to the regions beyond. At the 1887 Bible and Missionary Convention at Old Orchard Camp in Maine, he founded the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Ten years later, more than 300 missionaries labored in Africa, the Middle East, India, the Tibetan border, China, and Japan. By his death, his legacy was assured with more than 100 books published, a missions magazine that informed and inspired generations, the mobilization of men and women called, gifted, and sent out, a missionary training institute that fast-tracked workers to the world, a Christ-centered message and a Great Commission-driven mission, churches planted in Africa, Asia, and South America with many thousands of members worldwide. Almost a century before the Unreached People Movement, 
Simpson already was targeting the world's most unreached nations. Today, at this centennial anniversary of his death, the movement that he started numbers more than six million members in 88 countries. If he were alive today to see what has been done, he would praise the Lord. And if he knew that a book had been written commending him for starting a mission to take all of Jesus to all the world that is still doing it even now, he likely would respond, you've got the wrong man. That wasn't me. That was Christ in me. While Simpson was sickly for years, imperfect as we all are, who struggle with pride, ambition, fears, and family problems, this unlikely founder of a global movement committed his life to the work of the Father, rested in the all-sufficiency of the Son, and tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. And God did the rest. There you have it. Bert, they call him Young Bert. If you're wondering what people are wearing in those photos, that's going to be cool in six months with our youth. They're going to be dressing like that again. <laughs> it's crazy. So don't write it off. Don't be like, what's going on there? Um, that's a flyover, a real, a, a, a very much a flyover, but I hope it's helpful. Again, this morning is not to make you alliance. This morning is to say, hey, if this is where you're gathering and worshiping, we are standing on, um, on the shoulders of giants. We are, we are, we're, 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 what God is doing with and through us is built on a foundation that he's been laying for 2,000 years, including a specific foundation he's been laying for a couple of hundred years. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of Canadian Alliance history. Again, super flyover. The first Canadian church. So you notice Albert Simpson was a Canadian, which is awesome. Because sometimes, like, when we hear in evangelicalism, usually it's some American guy. And uh, Albert was a Canadian guy who started his ministry in America. But it's like, he was from Hamilton. We could drive there, right? So that's kind of cool. And to know that God used a Canadian to do this kind of work globally is pretty, is pretty special just to feel as a Canadian person uh, connected to it. Uh, the first Canadian church was Bethany Tabernacle in 1887, and that was in Toronto. Forty years after that, there were about 19 churches across Canada. 1981, uh, the Canadian denomination got autonomy, so it was an American movement that had a Canadian branch. And in 1981, the Canadians got their full autonomy, so the Americans have no authority over us. Yeah, clap for that. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. We have a close relationship. Um, I think still, okay, we're good. Um, and, uh, but, we, but, but we have freedom to operate autonomously, and, uh, and that's, that was important. At the same year, Milton Alliance Church uh, was started here in Milton. So that's kind of cool. We'll talk more about Milton Alliance Church's history, i.e. Southside at Maine's history, because we used to be Milton Alliance Church. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a future week. Since uh, all this time, there's about 440 churches that span across Canada that are under the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination in Canada, and uh, that's been under the guidance over since 1981 of six different presidents, and one of them's in this room right now. So Darren, you can say hello. Okay. I didn't realize it's only six. You're one of six. That's wild. You seem way more important to me now that I'm like doing all this, you know? Um, well, that's pretty special. We joke about it, and we love that when Darren's here, he's a part of this church like anybody else, but, um, but, but it's a significant role to oversee a denomination of churches, about 440 across Canada, and then all the missionary work we do globally uh, as a result of that. And so we are a part of a big family, 
And then the, this is the Canadian Alliance. Now, the, the Global Alliance, because that video that you saw was made by the Global Alliance. So I just want to read this for you. The Canadian Alliance enjoys a fraternal relationship with the Alliance World Fellowship, a global family of 60 autonomous national church um, movements. So just like we have the Canadian CMA, there's 60 of those things in different countries that are, 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 are autonomous or represent themselves in some kind of way. And uh, it consists of 23,000 Alliance churches, across the world and in 81 countries, uh, representing more than 6 million Alliance worshipers and thousands of international missionaries. And so that's just our small family who may be coming here like, who's the Alliance? I don't know what an Alliance church is. Um, that's pretty amazing to think about our small family that is relatively possibly unknown by you has this kind of impact. It tells you how actually big and broad the global church really is. And so this is, like I said, this is just the alliance. I want to go back to and remind us that the church is a people. The church is a people. It is not a place. It is a gathered people, just like we are gathered here today, just like they're gathered at Knox Presbyterian Church up the street, like they're gathered at Milton Bible Church across town. It is a, it is a, it is a people. It is not a place. And the, the global family is expressed in countless ways. The global family of those who are in Christ is expressed in so many different ways, and it's beautiful to be a part of it, and all of them um, are primarily focused on teaching the ways of Jesus, inviting people into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, and, uh, and praying together, and serving one another in love, and reaching their communities and their neighbors. And so our primary mandate as this church, along with all the other churches, is to be and become God's loving presence on earth as it is in heaven, and specifically for us, it's in Milton as it is in heaven. And all of this was started by a ragtag group of disciples, like, like random dudes following a random rabbi at the time, like not a well-known rabbi at the time, and random unqualified dudes. The disciples, you read their stories and their history, it's like they're just, they were chosen because they weren't qualified to actually follow like proper rabbis at the time. So that's pretty spectacular. And when you stop and think about that, you're like, okay, if there's a God, he's probably in this. The fourfold gospel you heard about. This morning I just want to highlight a few of the main points of that, and I'll do that super quick, um, even though there's so much to say. Actually, maybe I'll save most of it for another Sunday. We can do that here. Give me one sec. I'm going to save the details. This, these are important. These are important. So um, for the sake of time, because there's probably 25 minutes of talking here, I'm going to actually push this to another week. So you have to come back. But I'll give you what the fourfold is. I'll give you that. It's not a surprise. You can Google it, so it's fine. Um, the fourfold gospel. This is a distinctive of the CMA that um, it's not distinctive. When you hear it, you're like, don't all Christians believe that? And in some way, probably. But it's something that um, is a flag that has been flown by A.B. Simpson and the pastors who have been trained and qualified under the Christian Missionary Alliance since. So the fourfold gospel is this. Um, we believe that Christ is our Savior, Christ is our Sanctifier, Christ is our Healer, and Christ is our Coming King. I put coming there in brackets. He's our King present, but the coming part is really important for the fourfold gospel to believe that there is a return of Jesus as coming King. But I also don't want us to forget the fact that he's actually our present King too. So uh, the Christ is Savior, Christ saves us uh, from the consequences of our sin, Christ sanctifies us and makes us whole and makes us new and actually um, perfects us as we walk the life of faith. 
Christ is our healer. If we experience a unique and specific divine healing, that is a gift from Christ as a result of the work on the cross. And Christ is our king. He is, uh, it is his kingdom that we are ambassadors of. And that king, in uh, our perspective, is, uh, is, is present and then is also coming back. And there will be a future time where the kingdom is established in its fullness and that king will sit on the throne for eternity and we will all live in that perfected kingdom uh, forevermore. That is the fourfold gospel. And we'll unpack that uh, in a future week, but that is your crash course in alliance history. Is that helpful? Great. Nothing super, well, I think some of that was super inspiring, but, um, but it, was, it was a little more history than, than inspiration this morning. And if you came to be, to be filled up with something, I just wanted to say to you that um, these are details that mean something. And what they mean, if they're true, is that, um, that there's a life that is there for you. And, um, and we believe that that life that is there for you is found uh, through a relationship with Christ. And, uh, and we believe that if you find that relationship with Christ and you, and you live faithfully into it, that, um, that life and life to the full is promised to you here and now and forevermore. And if you're coming into the space like, you don't even know where you stand with Jesus, you don't even know what you think about Jesus, you don't even know what it means to be a Christian, I hope this is helpful to like define a few terms. But, um, but at the end of the day, um, the terms... Uh, are just a uh, pathway to relationship. The, 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 the definitions or the doctrine or the theology, all that is just language to actually um, support a relationship. At the end of the day, Christ is a, is having a relationship with Christ is a very real human relationship between you and the divine, between you and God, between you and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And we believe, our conviction is that you can actually have that today by faith. And if you want to know what does that mean and what does that look like, I want you to know that you never have to hesitate in a place like this to ask those questions because I would love to walk you through whatever that process is. And I believe through that is where you're going to find healing, restoration, reconciliation, freedom, peace, and joy, and a calling and a purpose for your life that you may not feel that you possess right now. So let me pray for our church, and let me go to Christ, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and King, just in prayer together. And then uh, Santi is going to lead us through one more song together. And, uh, and I encourage you to, if you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Sanctifier, your Healer, and your King, and you understand the implication of that, then I encourage you to use this moment after this to actually sing from a place of gratitude for knowing Christ as your Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and King, understanding what a mercy and a grace it is to have that in your life. Lord Jesus, we are here because we are um, we're gathered in your name to recognize you, Jesus, the person, the historical Jesus, as the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah. You're the one who fulfilled the vocation of Israel, and you're the one who's actually going to bring salvation and is bringing salvation to the world. You've brought salvation to our lives. You sanctify us, you heal us, you change us, you turn us into the person we were always intended to be. And you do that because of your grace and your mercy and your love for us. It's an outpouring of that. And we receive that. And we receive that for the purpose of being formed into your likeness, 
for you to be formed in us so that our actions, our words, our behavior, our attitudes, how we spend our time, our resources, our relationships are for the primary purpose of bringing your love and your light to the world. That's why we do it. And we believe, Lord, we're saying this with faith and we want to live into that this week. We're saying with faith that if we do that, Lord, we are going to feel more fulfilled because we're going to be living in accordance with how we were intended to live, which is to embody you to the world around us, to one another, and to the world around us, to Milton, to the streets here, to our neighbors that we, that we talk to in, in the morning, that, to those who are walking up and down Main Street right now, like we are to represent you and your love and your goodness and your light. Lord, I'm just asking if there's people in this room, oh, Spirit of God, if there's people in this room who are just like, this is just new to them, or they just want to know more, they just want to discover more, I'm asking you, Spirit, to like give them the confidence and the courage and the boldness to just ask, talk to somebody. Uh, remove whatever that barrier is to explore. Give them um, a sense of freedom, because all of this is an invitation to step in, just one small step at a time. And for those in this room who've been following Jesus for a long time and, in a, and, and maybe need to get back on track with what it actually means to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a Christian who shows up to church, but actually a, someone who's sincerely pursuing the presence of God to be formed in your likeness, Christ, I pray that those in this room who are just feeling that, thinking there's probably something more for me, there's, there's something I need to die to, there's a new commitment I need to make, there's an idol I need to get rid of, there's a, there's just like, there's a, there's a part of me that I just need to let go there's more to be done here. I'm just asking you, the Spirit of God, to give them the courage this week to actually take a step in that direction. That's our ask, Lord. Be with us. Bless us for our commitments to one another this morning and our commitments to one another going from here. Thank you, Jesus, for all this that we've said this morning. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.